Albert Einstein, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, John F. Kennedy, Tony Robbins, Michael Phelps, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. What else do they have in common? Well, they all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that, do you? You know what you hear even less about? The successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm an attorney, not a doctor, a lifelong student, not a coach. I'm also the creator of Cortography, a patent-pending system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your superpowers, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest superpowers. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I'm Tracy Otsuka, and welcome to episode 12 of ADHD for Smartass Women. Today, we're going to talk all about learned helplessness. So if you don't know, I run a Facebook group called ADHD for Smartass Women, and we are all about the positive. Like, how do we figure out what we're interested in so that we can pop into our hyperfocus and we can use our ADHD to our advantage? That's the goal. But I've noticed that there are a lot of brilliant women with ADHD who just get themselves stuck. They're not acknowledging or they're not working in their area of brilliance. They're just so focused on what's not working. And we know that whatever we focus on just gets bigger, right? So if we're constantly focusing on what's not working, what's not working is just going to get bigger and bigger. But if we're focusing on what is working, well, it's all about attitude. And if your attitude is, I can't do it, everything is wrong with me, it's impossible, you're literally trying to drag these women to the finish line, but they won't even try because they have totally given up. They expect everyone around them to pick up the slack. And if you've ever had a friend like this, you kind of start to feel like you've got another child, right? This is learned helplessness. So let me start from the beginning, okay? Or let me start at the beginning is what I should say. So Martin Seligman is the godfather of learned helplessness, and he's a psychologist and really the leader of the positive psychology movement. He grew really tired of the field of psychology and how everything was pathologized. The DSM, after all, was completely focused on what is wrong with you. I mean, even, well, first of all, let me back up. So the DSM stands for the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Like, how depressing can it possibly be, right? So Martin was so frustrated with all of this, and he wanted to focus on what was right, what was working, what people actually had control over. Martin Seligman was also the president of the American Psychological Association, and he helped create the VIA Character Strengths Test, which I'm going to introduce in a later podcast, and I think is just completely fascinating. But before doing any of this, what Martin Seligman did is he coined the concept of learned helplessness. So he started working on this idea in 1965 with his colleagues. So they were doing research on classical conditioning or the process by which an animal or human associates one thing with another. 
And this is a really gross experiment, but this is what they did. Remember, this was, what year did I say? 1960, oh gosh, I'm going back in my notes now, Um, 1965. Okay, so gross experiment in 1965. So Seligman and his colleagues, what they would do, they got a bunch of dogs together and they would ring a bell and then they would give a light shock to a dog. So after a number of times, the dogs would react to the shock even before it happened. The bell would ring and the poor dog would react as though he'd already been shocked. So then there was a step two to this experiment. Seligman would put each dog into a large crate and it was divided in the middle with a low fence. And so the dog could see and jump over the fence. The floor on only one side of the fence was electrified. It wasn't electrified on the other side of the fence. And so what Seligman would do is he would put the dogs that they had already done the conditioning to, right? They would put them on the electrified side of the fence and they would administer a light shock. And they would they expected that the dogs would jump over to the side where they wouldn't be shocked, right? The other side of the fence. And instead, what the dogs did was they just laid down. It was though they had learned from the first part of the experiment that there was nothing that they could do to avoid the shock. So they just gave up in the second part of the experiment. Seligman coined their conditioning as learned helplessness, or basically what they were doing is they were, they were not trying to get out of a negative situation because the past had taught them that they were helpless, right? So the second part of the experiment is that Seligman got new dogs that had not been through the classical conditioning part of the experiment. The dogs that had not been previously exposed to the shocks, guess what happened? They put them in the pen, they gave it a light shot, and those dogs quickly jumped over the fence to escape the shock. This told Seligman that the dogs that laid down and acted helpless had actually learned that helplessness from the first part of his experiment. And what ended up happening is that caused them to do a bunch of research on people, and they discovered that the way that people view the negative things that have happened to them in their life can have an impact on whether they feel helpless or not. So let me give you an example. Let's say that you failed a science test. Now, there's all kinds of reasons why you could fail a science test, right? But you can come up with, well, it's because I'm stupid. Or it's because, you know what, I was screwing around and I didn't study enough for that test. Or it could be, well, I really did study, but that test was really hard. No person can do well on that test. So Seligman created specific attributions, what you believe is causing the action. And there were specific attributions that caused learned helplessness. And those attributions, those harmful attributions were internal, stable, and global. So let me explain. Internal attribution is something to do with the person. I'm just stupid. It's internal, right? There's nothing I can, I'm just stupid. An external attribution, however, is something outside of yourself is to blame. It's the cause. So that test was really hard right? So it has nothing to do with me being stupid. Anybody could have studied for that test and not done well because it was really hard. The next one is stable attribution versus an unstable attribution. A stable attribution doesn't change. I'm stupid and no amount of studying would have made a difference because I am just stupid. It doesn't change. doesn't matter what I do. I'm stupid. An unstable attribution, however, changes based on the situation. So 
The reason why I flunked the test and I didn't do well is because I didn't study enough. It didn't have anything to do with me being stupid. It was something that was changeable based on the situation. If I would have studied more, I would have done well on the test. The next series of attributions was a global attribution versus a specific attribution. So a global attribution is the problem is with everything I do. I'm stupid. I'm stupid in science class. I'm stupid in math class. I'm stupid in all of my classes. I'm stupid in my work. I'm stupid in my relationships. I am just stupid in everything. A specific or non-global attribution would be I failed because I'm not good at science. I'm not good at science, but I'm really good at math and I'm really good at English. I just happen to not be good at science. And what Seligman discovered is that the most harmful attributions are those that are stable, that are global, and are internal. So I'm stupid. No amount of studying would have made a difference. I'm still stupid. And the problem is with everything I do. I'm stupid in everything, not just the fact that I failed the science test. So let's look at kids. So when kids are regularly bad at math, they keep trying and they just get one bad grade after another, right? I'm thinking of my son starting in fourth grade. And they start to convince themselves that there is absolutely nothing they can do. They give up and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. They suck at math. So my son did great at math until fourth grade. And I mean, really great. He's one of these kids that can just, he's like a human calculator. He can just calculate numbers in his head so incredibly quickly. His fluency is off the charts. But in fourth grade, he started to struggle. And I think the reason he struggled is he went to a Catholic school where he had 30 problems over, you know, every single night, Monday through Thursday. Actually, I think it was Monday through Friday. And then, yeah, in fourth grade, they started having homework on weekends too. And he was, after 10 problems, he would just completely check out. He'd get the first 10 right, but then he'd just screw around on the other 20. He was bored and he wouldn't finish. And it progressively got worse and worse. And his grades were so erratic. So depending on how he felt, he would either get an A or he could get an F. Then in eighth grade, he had an awful teacher. She was the principal. She had a master's in special education, but she didn't care about any of the kids. She didn't care about Marcus. Marcus knew she didn't care about him. And so he hated math even more. And he started to tell himself, I suck at math. I'm terrible at math. I'm stupid at math. He barely got a C minus graduating out of eighth grade. And then from then on, he just had this mindset that he was really, really bad at math. He hated math. He regularly talked about how terrible he was at math. And then let me tell you what happened. So he got himself um, retested. We did um, a new, it was the Woodcock-Johnson ADHD tests. was the end of the summer, the beginning of the fall semester for his junior year. So this past fall. And he got himself retested and he discovered that he was in the 90th percentile for most of the tests related to math. And he was in the 98th percentile for several of them. So he is actually very smart in math. And we always knew it because, again, he would just do these calculations. I mean, he was literally like a human calculator. All of a sudden, he started getting A's. Now, part of it may have been his teacher's expectations. They suddenly discovered that, oh my gosh, this kid really is smart at math. We need to push him. Part of it might 
have been that he realized that, well, maybe the reason I wasn't doing well in math is because I was so bored because I'm actually really smart in math. And I was tired of going over the same things over and over again when I got it after the second pass. Marcus had this history or this problem of he hated to show his work. He would just calculate the numbers in his head. And then, of course, he'd get marked down because it doesn't matter if you get the right answer. You have to show your work, right? The other thing that Marcus would do is because of the ADHD, everything he does is so quick and he wouldn't check his work and he would just blow through it and he'd get steps one through five correct. And then step six, he'd screw up in. And you know how math is. If you don't get the right answer, it doesn't matter if you got steps one through five correct, right? But the reality of it is, all of a sudden, Marcus started getting A's. And the only thing that changed is that suddenly he thought he or he knew he wasn't bad in math. So I guess I shouldn't change that. Suddenly, he thought he was not bad in math. And it all starts with your thoughts, right? So this learned helplessness is a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it can lead to depression and anxiety. It raises stress levels. It diminishes your ability to learn. And it generally reduces your efforts to even try. If you don't think what you will do will help, you're less likely to even give it a shot, right? So let's apply this to ADHD women, especially those who aren't diagnosed or were diagnosed later in life. You've spent so many years not living to your potential at work, at home, in relationships that you just assume that you are going to fail. You've given up so you don't even try and you're chronically pessimistic about it all. You're so focused on what's not going right that you beat yourself up by using harmful attributions that are internal, stable, and global. I'm an idiot. I'm too stupid to do this. I can't ever do anything right. And it's not just this one thing that I might not be very good at, but it's everything and nothing will ever change. This is just how I am. I often see ADHD women who they act more like children. They get friends and family members to help them do everything, to do their work for them, to make decisions for them, to attend meetings with them, to handle their finances for them. But these one-sided relationships over time They don't last because a relationship that's not give and take, after a while, it's just frustrating, isn't it? And I've seen this happen with very bright ADHD women who could easily make these kinds of decisions for themselves, but they've convinced themselves that they can't. They literally have dumbed themselves down. Now, Julia Rutledge started studying learned helplessness in women with ADHD diagnosed as adults back in 1995 when she was working on her doctorate in psychology at the University of Calgary in Alberta, Canada. And this is what she found. Women with ADHD were more likely to have a learned helpless style of responding to negative situations than were women without ADHD, and they tended to blame themselves when bad things happened. It was always their fault. It was internal. It wasn't external. It wasn't that something else could have contributed to the bad thing that happened. Second, women with ADHD were likely to believe that they couldn't control the outcomes of life events, resulting in a vicious cycle. Rutledge reported that a woman with ADHD was less likely to make efforts to finish challenging tasks due to her belief that she has no power to change the negative outcome. By giving up, she then further reinforced the belief that she's unable to accomplish things in life. Number three, 
Women with ADHD were also more likely to report a history of depression and anxiety. They had been in psychological treatment more often, and they had received more prescriptions for medications than had women without ADHD. So I want to give you an example. We have a Facebook group, ADHD for Smartass Women. I think I mentioned it at the beginning. And I was going through my feed and saw a New York Times article. The New York Times article read, train your brain like a memory champion. So, of course, I was really interested because, you know, don't we all want to be memory champions? I could always use help on things to help my memory. I read it. Barely. And my first thought was, this article sucks. I got nothing at all from it, and I could barely make it through. I just couldn't even track what they were trying to say. And, of course, then I thought, the article is probably good and useful. It's probably my ADHD brain that isn't, and that's the problem. And I don't know what possessed me to do this, but I decided, you know what? I'm going to read the comments. So I did. I read the comments. And the consensus in the comments was that the article is useless and poorly written. But here I am second-guessing my brain because the New York Times wouldn't post total crap, would they? This is the perfect example, and I think it's so funny that this happened while I was researching learned helplessness because I would have never even thought twice of it if it hadn't been for the fact that I was researching learned helplessness. But this is an example of an internal stable attribution that leads to learned helplessness in many of us with ADHD. Rather than thinking that I know what a well-written article looks like because I do, I went right to, you know what, it must be my brain. And again, I only even thought about this because of the fact that I was researching learned helplessness for this podcast. I had no idea that I was actually doing this. And if you had asked me, I would have told you, no, I'm not a ruminator. I'm positive. I'm a make lemonade out of lemons person. But clearly there's chatter going on in my brain that I'm not even really aware of. And I realized that if something goes wrong that has to do with time or organization, or in this case, believing that I know what a well-written article looks like, I'm going to second guess myself. Well, when we know better, we do better. And I'm going to second guess myself typically because I'm thinking, oh, it's my ADHD brain. So what are some workarounds for this learned helplessness? Number one, we need to focus on what we're interested in, what we're good at, because that's where we can hyper-focus. And when we can hyper-focus, we're naturally going to be better in that area than most anyone we know. Number two, you can be a brilliant marketer, designer, chef, scientist, whatever it is. But if you're always caught up in, let's say, administrative paperwork and details, which you suck at, you're not going to be able to showcase what you're really good at. So shore up those areas, you know, things that you hate doing, delegate it, bring in an assistant. Number three, we don't remember our accomplishments. I'm going to say this again. This is part of our ADHD brain. You know, bad is stickier than good. And especially with the ADHD brain, I think I read somewhere that you need five good things to happen to equal one bad thing. So, you know, we just remember the bad stuff and we forget all the good things. We forget our accomplishments. So what I did is... Well, I should back up. So, you know, in our cartography system, 
which is a system that teaches people exactly who they are, why they're here, and what they're meant to do with their life. One of the things we do is we create a better than a martini list. And this is literally a list of all the things that have happened in our life since we were a child that we're really proud of. You know, there are accomplishments. It's those things that we really don't want to forget and shouldn't forget, but we typically do forget. So I have my own better than a martini list with all my accomplishments on it. I also have a board in my office with photos, notes from others, testimonials, and I have it up there front and center so that I don't forget about all these good things that have happened in my life, all these accomplishments. So this is what happens when I'm sitting at my desk and I discover that, oh my gosh, I missed another deadline. I can say, you know what? I suck at administrative paperwork, but I'm really good with people. I'm also highly creative and I always come up with ideas that others don't. And that's because my brain is nonlinear. And because my brain is nonlinear, I can put connections together that others can't. Now, the downside to my brilliant creative brain is I'm not so good with organization and administrative duties because they're dull and they're mindless and they require zero creativity. So I screwed up. Perhaps this is another indication that this is not what I do well, so I should get help. And look at this board with all these incredible things that I've done that are on my martini list. Look at all the photos of all the incredible people that I've been able to help. And look at all the notes and the testimonials. I don't want to ever forget about all the good things that I've done. Because again, whatever we focus on just gets bigger. And if I can focus on those good things, those big things, those good things are going to get bigger. And then when the pesky little ADHD symptoms come up that I forgot this or I forgot that, you know what? That's just part of the way that my brain works. So let's try shore it up. Let's try make sure it doesn't happen again. But if it does, which it usually will, it is not the end of the world. It has nothing to do with me and my character. Number four, this is a big one. And I think I've kind of alluded to it as I've, as I've been speaking. You need to change your mindset. Carol Dweck is a professor of psychology at Stanford, and she is one of the leading researchers on motivation. She's also the author of the book Mindset, which was The Rage. I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but there was a lot about it. In fact, I think it was in eighth grade. It might even have been a few years before that because I think my son in eighth grade, that was part of the science curriculum, which I thought was amazing. Anyway, so Carol Dweck talks about the difference between a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. A fixed mindset is that you believe that your talents and abilities, your intelligence is fixed. Either you have it or you don't. So you're born with a certain amount and that's what you have, right? You can't get any more. A growth mindset is that you believe that your talents can be developed over time and that they're based on learning and hard work and training and not giving up. Carol believes that successful people in all fields, whether we're talking business or music or science or sports, they all have a growth mindset. With her growth mindset theory, Carol basically challenged the belief that smart people are just born smart. And although Dweck's theory has come under some fire, 
it's what I choose to believe. I think it's huge for those of us with ADHD to have a growth mindset. Look, I always knew I was smart, but I also knew I was even smarter than I could present. And when I think about how hard I worked, you know, what it took me to get through law school and graduate law school, how hard I've always worked, like people used to literally take my notes the day before the exam and they would get brighter grades than I did. And I had literally been working on those notes for probably three weeks. I actually believe that my ADHD, however, created my work ethic, my grit, my willingness to never, ever give up. I think it's in part responsible for my optimism and this idea that I had that I just need to work harder or I just need to work differently or I just need to be more prepared. And because of that, I feel like I'm always willing to face a challenge because I know the process is going to make me more smarter and more capable. And that's exactly what Carol believes. She believes that people with a growth mindset are always willing to face a challenge because they know that challenge is going to make them smarter and more capable. She also believes that our brains are adaptable, that IQ isn't fixed. Now, we know that our school system teaches the opposite of this, right? We're all about grades. And there's no such thing as bad grades in the real world. You can always try again. You can always get better. So my son goes to a, I know I've talked about this before, many times before. So my son goes to an independent school that doesn't really believe in grades. And the reason they don't believe in grades is because they feel that grades stops a child from learning. So for example, when my son takes a test, he's allowed to see his test. He's allowed to then take the test again and correct his answers. Because what this school really cares about is that he learns the material. He doesn't really care that the next student might have that test and might cheat off of that test. So that the student who just took the test can never figure out, well, what did I get wrong and what's the right answer? Marcus's school, they don't care about that at all. They care that the student learns. So if you have a fixed mindset and you have ADHD, you're going to tell yourself, I'm not smart. It's my ADHD. There's nothing I can do about it. It's just the way it is. I'm always going to be late. I can't plan. I can't change my life. You know, basically, good Lord, I suck. A growth mindset with ADHD is going to say that I can work harder and I can get better. I can figure out who I am and what's important to me. I can learn executive functioning skills like how to plan and how to be better about being on time. I can make sure that I'm working in an area of high interest so I can drop into my hyperfocus and I can show my brilliance. I can crack my learning code. A growth mindset is extremely empowering. And I say this having decided this year that I'm going to crack consistency. You know, I'm really good at a lot of things, but who cares if I can't be consistent? And I've built in my guardrails of what I need to, to do to be consistent around consistency. It's only March, but I feel so much more in control since I ditched my, oh, I can be spontaneous, I can go with the flow, I can do it when I feel like it policies. And I just feel like if I can do it, anyone can do it. I really, in my mind, had this idea that I was just really crappy at certain things and I couldn't get better at them. And I've learned this year that that's not true. By figuring out what works for me when it comes to planning and when it comes to organization, 
I can actually be quite good at it. This is the deal, though. Most planning and organizational systems, they do not work for a nonlinear brain. They are all developed for linear brains because they piggyback off of time management, right? And prioritization, things we don't do well at. So once I was able to figure out what works for me and my brain, I realized that I could totally have a growth mindset over this. I can do this. So with a growth mindset, you don't say that you're smart. You say you worked really hard because praising intelligence harms motivation. If you think it's pure intelligence and you can't get smarter, why would you try? I mean, the deal is there is no nirvana. There is no perfect score. You can always get better. And if something bad happens, like let's say you just don't do as well on an exam as you had expected, or you don't get the deal, you know you can get it right the next time if you just work harder. What you're basically doing is you're giving yourself control over your life. The fixed mindset is what teaches ADHD kids and adults to give up. It's why ADHD kids struggle in school and typically do better when they're outside of school. And why kids who are book smart and never have to study typically have the toughest time outside of school because they've never had to try. And when I say outside of school, I mean, you know, once they've graduated and they're in the real world. And I can think back, you know, as an attorney, I worked with a number of attorneys who were brilliant, went to the best schools, had, you know, graduated magna cum laude. They were they never had to try. They were just naturally really good at school. But then when they got into the real world and they had to operate as attorneys, they really struggled because the skills are so different and they never had learned how to be gritty, for lack of a better word. So for those who struggle in school but still keep trying, you know, we're so used to struggling and not giving up We can't help but be successful. And I think it's why so many of us are entrepreneurs. We are used to failing. We don't mind risk. I may have told this story before, but I'm not sure. You know, I'm part of a mastermind of women entrepreneurs, and there's a very high-powered woman in our group, lovely woman. And I consistently use the term, I failed at this, and I failed at this, and I failed at this, and so I'm not sure what to try next. And uh, this lovely woman at one point stopped me and she said, Tracy, I want you to stop saying that. I want you to stop using that word failing. That's just, it's bad. And I looked at her and I said, you don't understand. I love that word. I love the fact that I am completely comfortable failing because I don't see failing like most people see failing. I see every time I fail, I'm closer to succeeding. I just sort of see it as there's all these ticks that I have to go through and I have to get through 20 of them. I have to fail 20 times in order to finally, you know, break the code and figure out, okay, this is how I can be successful doing this. In any case, I just believe that becoming is better than being. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I also did a podcast on exercise and ADHD. And we now know that with neuroplasticity, our brains can grow, which supports the growth mindset as well, doesn't it? So what I do is I picture my brain forming new connections as I meet new challenges. So that's just a little visualization hack that I use. 
The other thing is I really think that you should challenge yourself to grow in everything you do, not just work and career, but in every relationship you're in. Look for people that challenge you to grow. And I, I just want to give you my own my own experience. So, you know, I was used to a house. We were the entertaining house with my kids, right? So I was used to a house that was always full and I have a lot of energy. I love having people over. I love to cook. I love to entertain. And my kids started to get older. And I just realized that, you know, but for the fact that my kids were friends with other kids and that their parents were our friends, we probably wouldn't have chosen each other because we didn't have a lot in common. They were all lovely, lovely people, and they still are. But we did not have a lot in common. And so once my daughter went off to college, I started to think about, you know, I just feel like I'm different. And I feel like I want to be around some different people. And I really like entrepreneurs. I love their energy. I love their grit. I love their lack of fear. That's who I want to be around. So what I ended up doing was networking with a bunch of online entrepreneurs. And I joined a bunch of groups. And I had this, th this idea in my mind that I want friends all over the world. I don't know where that came from, but that is just what I knew that I wanted. And I'm telling you, it didn't take but a year and a half to two years that I can literally go to any country in this world, in our world, and I believe that there was someone there that at a minimum I could go grab a cup of coffee with, but usually, you know, I would have a lot more to talk about, you know, with them over dinner or or whatever. So I just wanted more people that would challenge me to grow, right? I wanted people that were doing more than I was doing, that were doing better than I was doing. I wanted to be around those kind of people. I really do believe that you're an amalgamation of the five people that you hang around with the most. So really choose those people carefully. Okay, the last thing I want to say is I just read a study on freshmen in college as well, you know, and this this is related to the growth mindset and grit and learned helplessness. Anyway, so the study, there was a study on freshmen in college who have a 30% dropout rate across the board. I didn't know that the dropout rate was that high. And granted, you know, a lot of it is because the cost of education today, the cost of college, but a lot of it too is that, you know, there are kids who are just not prepared going to college. They, they don't have any grit. So what they did in this study is they taught these students about grit and the growth mindset. And they discovered that when they did that, these kids had less learned helplessness. They felt like they were more in control of their success. And guess what? They dropped out of college less. I think this is why it's so important to get an ADHD diagnosis as early as possible. We need to understand that we're not devoid of character. We're not stupid. Far from it. We just have a brain that functions differently. You know, and I think teaching persistence and positive self-image is critical for children, but also for adults with ADHD. If we can learn that well, that level of grit and belief that we control our destiny, it can be a tremendous asset in our life. Like the negative chatter that went on in my brain when I read the poorly written New York Times article, and I was so certain it was me and not just bad writing, I hope this podcast will make you 
become aware of the times that you're dropping into learned helplessness and adopting a fixed mindset and giving away your power instead of confronting life with a tenacious growth mindset that I just know your brilliant brain is capable of. As always, you are listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. That's all I've got for you today. If you like what you're hearing, I would so appreciate if you drop me a review. If you'd like to know more about me, our patent pending cartography system, or if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, feel free to contact me. If you go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and click on podcast in the navigation bar, you're going to see a microphone to your right where you can leave me an audio message. You can also reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, and I will see you next time. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. If you liked what you heard, we sure would appreciate a review. And not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, well, that's also the name of our free Facebook group. Go look it up. We're a totally smart-ass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. We'd love to have you join us. You can also find all my details over at tracyoutsuka.com. Don't forget, I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.